This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting is far more than a hobby, and I think today America needs it like never before. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel, helping new hunters get started and bringing new insights to all hunters. I'm your host, George Kanidis, and today I want to talk to you guys about why America needs hunting today like it has never needed hunting before. This is a huge topic. This is a huge just interjection that I have in the state of our culture, in the state of our society, in the state of affairs and what's happening in individual people's lives, the trends that we've been seeing. I believe that this is an event, this is an activity, this is more than that, that is needed today, maybe more than ever before. Now, I'm talking primarily and specifically about America, though I am sure for those of you listening in other countries that pieces or lots or most of this is going to be true where you are as well. But I don't presume to be that in touch with the the cultural trends and undertones of other nations to be able to speak directly into them. I can't say this is something that's just as important globally. But I know where I am and I know what I see and that's what I'm speaking to today. So how is it that hunting could be more important today or important today in a different way that's of equal importance to maybe some of the the most important ways it's ever existed before in our nation's history. Well, it's obvious that in years and centuries gone by, hunting was a means to get food. You put food on the table. Now, hunting as a food source for the majority of Americans was not anywhere near as big as most people make it out that it once was. It was never that huge. There was a period of time where hunting was a significant part of the average person's diet. 
But as, as society grew and as weaponry increased, we pretty much hunted almost everything in the nation to the brink of extinction and some things beyond the brink of extinction. And then hunting basically ended by and large for scores of years in most areas. Prior to that, you had, you know, a lot of things happening with agriculture, with raising cattle, with all of those different things, growing, picking, finding, foraging. Hunting was a part of that, but it was only for a handful of people, something that was a major part of their diet. And, and only for a period of time was it something that the average person would have had for a significant part of their diet. So by and large, contrary to, to what you might imagine in your mind, hunting was never really the staple food source for the majority of people in America for any significant period of time. The reason being is it's just, it, it was not sustainable. Crops, livestock, much more sustainable. You can count on it. Um, you know, the early, early days hunting was really big, but that's before industry was established. And when I say industry, that's maybe the wrong word, but before livestock and, and farms and so on really got established. And that even then is a very brief period of time for a relatively small number of people. And I say brief, I mean in the course of the total history of people colonizing this continent, right? There are still places today where hunting is very big, but we're talking about a very small percentage of the people. You know, you watch Mountain Men and those shows, and yeah, they're basically living off of the game that they harvest, but that's a very small percentage of people relative to the total population of the country. You know, we're, we're closing in on or right around the 330 to 350 million mark. You know, you're talking like 1%-ish of the nation, probably less than that, are people that are dependent upon hunting. And... You know, so you look at it from this food store standpoint and you think, okay, well, historically speaking, George, you know, there's no way hunting could be more important now because, you know, it was a staple food source for the history of our nation. Yeah, it really wasn't, right? So to say hunting is as or more important today is not an outrageous claim. It's not something that overlooks, you know, a 300-year period where most people ate game meat. That's just not the way that it ever really was. Um, so when I make that claim, I'm making it advisedly. I'm making it having done some research. Um, but also, I'm, I'm saying that it could be that it is more important or just as important, but for different reasons. All right. Uh, you know, feeding your family, <clears throat> people do hunt to put meat in the freezer to feed their families. But the reality is they could also buy meat or feed their families through other avenues. Maybe not to the same degree, maybe not to the same quality, but that's a different part of the conversation. The reality is that food is available uh, for most people who claim to be meat hunters and to feed their family. They could feed themselves another way, maybe not as good of a way, but again, that's for later in the conversation. So when I say that hunting is so important in our nation 
in this nation today, what is it that is making it that important? A food source is not the thing that's making it that important, though it is a piece of it. And again, more on that a little bit later. It is important because of the days and the times and the culture that we live in. People are utterly consumed with what I'm just going to call synthetic reality. All right, we have reality and then we have synthetic reality. And when I say synthetic reality, I'm referring almost exclusively to the digital world, to, to the, the, the digital device that is chained to most people's hand or leg that never leaves their arm's reach, that they are programmed to respond to and to check incessantly and to delve into social structures and entertainment and everything else through that digital portal in their hand or within arm's reach. And now we work through that portal and we don't have to, we can even order our food through our groceries through that portal and they will arrive at our house with our packages and almost anything else. I mean, I, you can order pretty much anything you want to your house, period. Uh, I mean, almost anything I want to go out for, I could get ordered to my house. And I don't live in a big city. I live in a suburban, even even a su extended suburban area. But I still can get just about anything I want delivered to my house, pretty much. Except propane. I don't know why we still can't get propane. Um, I should be able to just leave a propane container outside and they'll come and swap it out with a full one. Somebody needs to figure that out. Maybe you've got that somewhere, but we don't have it here. That's like the one thing I wish I could get. Uh, I would rather go to the store to buy most things, but I hate lugging that propane container back and forth and putting it in the back seat of my car because I don't have a truck. But that's an aside for uh, another day. People are consumed today with synthetic reality. All right. It is and, and it affects the way we think. It affects our psychology. It affects the way we respond and the way we view the world around us. Relationships are morph and become something different in the synthetic world. Uh, the way we view ourselves, our self-image, what's important morphs and becomes different in the synthetic world. And we become more and more detached from reality. Now you say, George, what is reality? Go outside. That is reality. What you can touch, what you can smell, what you can taste, what is tangible to you. That is the, that is reality. Things that are in the synthetic world, and I'm not just saying digital world because this is bigger than that. This extends even beyond digitality, though most of it occurs through digital space. Things in the synthetic world are intangibles. And we have intangibles in the real world like relationships, feelings, self-image, uh, self-esteem, aspirations. Those are intangibles, but they're real. And in the real world, they're expressed and they're experienced in a certain way. But in the synthetic world, they become something else. They mutate, they morph, they're, they're distorted, they're skewed, they're tainted. Sometimes they are 
they become just a shadow of what they once were or what they could be. But to those who only experience and know them in that capacity, to them it's all-consuming. You see cases today of, of teenagers just in complete and utter depression because they're not getting as many Facebook likes or as many TikTok comments or whatever the case may be on social media. They're, they're being cyberbullied. They are, uh, you know, you, you hear stories about people even committing suicide because a virtual significant other broke up with them. And what's happening here is we're putting emotions, we're putting self-esteem, we're putting stock in ourselves and, and, and connection and relationship to other people that is real that is meant to be expressed person to person in reality. All right. You may think you have a digital relationship with somebody or a group of people, but the reality is that digital relationship is different from a real relationship, from a tangible relationship. Now you can pour just as much of your emotion and your heart into it digitally as you can in the real world. It's real. But the, 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 the reciprocation of that from the other person or the other parties is very often not the same as it would be in the real world. You can easily dupe yourself into thinking that you have a stronger relationship or an exclusive relationship or just a some, high, some way of a higher level relationship with someone digitally. And from their end, yeah, it's just cool to chat with you. It's just cool to, you know, send you pictures back and forth every now and then. It's cool to like your Facebook stuff, but they're not going to go out of their way to do anything for you. They're not going to, there's no strong relationship. They're, they're not an asset to you. They're just, you are part of their entertainment world. And then when they don't reciprocate the level of emotion that you have, they, they may not even be aware of it. But from your standpoint, you've poured everything into this. From their standpoint, you're just one of a hundred other faces on their on their social media account. And then that it can be devastating for the person that has invested themselves, whereas the other person doesn't even know anything ever happened. And in the real world, that's not experienced quite the same way. There is certainly misalignment of expectations and feelings. That goes back to the dawn of time. But you have cues. You have exclusivity when you are with someone in person doing something, sharing time, sharing experiences, sharing a meal. You know they're with you and no one else. You know you have their attention. You know they're invested into you because they are spending significant chunks of time with you. You develop a connection that's stronger and more reciprocated than you do in the digital world. And when those relationships break and there's betrayal and rejection, you know, of course, the, the feelings are very strong and the pain is very real. And that same strength of feeling and pain is experienced by people who are in the digital world, who are in synthetic reality when they feel rejection and betrayal. But the problem is 
they are invested, but the other person never was. And they never knew that. They never had the cues. They never had the, the what, what, what is built by real time and space and being with a person in the real world in order to build the connection from both sides. They went all the way down to the bottom of that rabbit hole and the other person just glanced. They didn't really care. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So this is how we get into this situation where people are so hurt by things that happen in the synthetic world and we can't understand how or why. It's not that complicated as to how it can happen. And when you don't have the context of the real world, when you don't understand the real world, when you've not experienced life through the real world, like a lot of the generations that are coming up right now, and and you've only known these kinds of relationships and connections through the synthetic world, you put yourself at greater risk and unnecessary risk and, and risk that you can't even understand how you're at that risk because of the way that that world works. And when we become disconnected from reality, we become vulnerable to all manner of things. Now, these same things can hurt us in reality, but we have defense mechanisms against that. We, 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 we can understand how a relationship develops. We can understand how connections develop. We can understand that over time and over you know, mutual exclusivity, uh, you're able to then reach a point where you invest more into a person because you have a strong relationship and connection. And in the real world, those things happen slower the, the, the pain points are usually less frequent and less severe, and we are better adapted to deal with and to experience and overcome them. And we have support networks in the real world to overcome them, whereas in the synthetic world, it, it's, it's very alone. Even if you have a thousand friends, even if you get a thousand likes on your recent post, there's still, you feel very much alone in these kinds of situations. And so we need things that pull us, that force us into the real world. All right. The real world is where we're supposed to be. It's where we're supposed to be grounded literally and figuratively. All right. The book of Genesis tells us that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. 
and then breathe life into him. All right, we were made out of the ground. We have a connection to this world. We have a connection to the earth. We have a connection to the creation. It is just part of who we are. Now, if you don't like, if you're not big into the end of the Bible narrative, look at the periodic table. All right, we are carbon-based life forms. Our being, what we are, is carbon, which is what the ground, what the earth is made out of. We come from the same core element on the periodic table. It is just part of our makeup. We come from this thing. And then when we go outside into the real world, we become surrounded with reality. We become surrounded with things that are tangible, both nature and people. And, you know, some people talk about, well, you know, uh, sometimes I feel inspired and I feel uh, encouraged and all this stuff when I go to, you know, a museum or I go downtown or I see the big buildings or I go look at the courthouse or some of the amazing structures that have been built. Yes, exactly. Those structures are built from, are you ready? Bricks mortar, wood, metals, which come from ores, all of it comes from the earth. All of it comes from nature. So we have taken the building blocks of what God gave us and we have rearranged them into other things using the wisdom and creativity that God gave us. And so those things can indeed be inspiring. They can indeed, they are extensions of reality and nature just based on what they're made out of. They are part of the real world. You don't just need trees, dirt, and streams for it to be the real world. All right, all of that comes out of there. But then when we go into the digital world, when we go into the synthetic world, that is no longer made out of the raw, the raw materials of this world. All right, that is pixels and that is color and that is and it's not color made out of things that are real either. It is all synthetically generated using electricity. All right? And in and of itself is not a bad thing. In and of itself is not something we should ignore or shy away from, but we need to balance and ground ourselves in reality, not synthetic reality. And it has become easier and easier from social media to video games to Zoom, chat, to text messages, and a thousand other things to live and even work exclusively in synthetic reality. And here's an interesting parallel for that. When we're in the real world, when we're outside, when we're experiencing tactile reality, we're experiencing things that God has made. When we're in the virtual world, we're experiencing things that the mind of man has made. And so we're in two different universes of stuff. One comes from uh, something greater than us. The other comes out of us exclusively. And the creativity and the imagination and the wisdom is there, but without the tactile reality. 
And so we have part of the true experience, but we're also missing part of the true experience. There's no substitute for going outside. There's no substitute for feeling the wind, for walking into the woods. There's no substitute for that virtually. Oh, you could play a hunting video game. It could be fun. It could provide you with a little bit of a dopamine rush. You could do that. It's not a bad thing. But it does not do the same thing as walking into the woods. All right, it, it, it affects our brain, it affects our body, it affects our nervous system differently when we walk into tactile reality. All right, the air that we're breathing is different. The sounds, the sights, the sensations are different. The emotions, believe it or not, are different. We may experience certain things differently but there is no video game equivalent. There is no Instagram or TikTok equivalent of that big buck walking out after an entire season of, of chasing and waiting and wanting. And there you are at 30 yards and you're trying to, you're trying to find it in your crosshairs. You're trying to draw back a bow. You're trying to do whatever you're trying to do. And, and then that moment of the successful shot and then when you find the that that animal on the ground and and all everything that it represents the the meat the reward the the strategy everything that those there's no synthetic equivalent to that there's also no synthetic equivalent to just sitting in the brush on the edge of a, of, a, of a stream or a lake, watching the sunrise, sitting there for hours on end, enjoying the, the cool breeze, looking for ducks to fly in. There's nothing like that in the virtual world. You're just going to sit somewhere for six hours and watch and just take in nature and just take in everything that God made and designed and all the beauty of it. I remember when these things first clicked with me. It was, I think, my first turkey season. I was out early in the morning, sitting in the woods, leaning up against a tree, and the sun just started shining. I mean, six in the morning, sun is shining through the clouds. There's a, just a little bit of fog, almost, not even really fog, just a little bit of vapor in the air, and the rays of the sun shine through the trees, through the vapor. You could see the rays. It was like they were dancing all around me. And I'm sitting there like, wow, who gets to see this? Who even knows that this happened? It just left a profound impact on me. From that day forward, I realized I need to be outside. I need to be doing this. This is not just pretty. It, it, it has a much deeper impact than that. It really does. And so when we engage in the natural world, it affects us emotionally. It affects us physically. You know, the exercise that comes from it. Most people today are under-exercised. And the exercise that they do get is on treadmills. The exercise that they do get is at the gym. It's not in the real world. Not to say it has no value, but it's different. Something I learned years ago. 
when I was going to the gym a lot and I was doing lots of push-ups and pull-ups and rows and all that stuff. And then I'd walk out into the woods and, you know, a mile in, I'm wo- or I'm winded, I'm tired, my backpack feels too heavy, I'm worn out, and I'm like, I'm out of shape. I am not in shape. And I'm like, I could bench press all this weight, I could do 50 pull-ups, I could run three miles flat out, but walking in the forest, I'm out of shape. And I realized a, a great truth that is not that complicated. Most of you probably already knew it. And if you had asked me then, I would have given you the same answer, but I knew it in a higher capacity. I knew it at a different level at that moment, greater than I ever had before. And that is that our bodies adapt to and excel at and become better at the things that we do. All right, now that sounds simple right? You do lots of bench pressing. You become better at bench pressing. But when do you bench press in the real world? Basically never. You do a lot of pull-ups. Your body becomes good at pull-ups. You can do more pull-ups. You can do them easier. But when do you do pull-ups in the real world? Almost never. Running. I I could run, you know, I could run a three or a 5k, 3.1 some miles in pretty good time. When do I ever really do that in the real world? Almost never, but walking a few miles at a regular pace through the woods with a light backpack on carrying a shotgun, none of those things were able to help me do that better. Maybe the running gave me a little bit of an edge from a cardiovascular standpoint, but my legs are worn out, my feet are worn out, my shoulders and my back are worn out. I just never do that. I'd never done anything like that before. The things that we really do are the things that our bodies adapt to and become better at. And here's the thing. Real world doing stuff does more for our fitness and health than, uh, what's, uh, what's a polite way of saying this, than, synthetic is the wrong word, better than... Uh, isolated exercises that we do at a gym, whether it's running, whether it's the elliptical, whether it's bench pressing, weight training, those are isolated exercises. They, they help your body get better at doing the exercise, but you don't really do those exercises in the real world. So they don't really help you in the real world. They're not that well-rounded and people need to do things like CrossFit and all sorts of other activities in order to really become fit in a well-rounded way overall. But guys, walking through the woods, carrying a light backpack, going up and down hills with a gun in your hand, that does more for your fitness and exercise than twice as much time is going to do at the gym. And the reason is because you are developing your body to do things it was designed to do, it was made and created to do in the real tactile world. You're walking up a hill, it's uneven. Whereas every surface on that treadmill or on the track that you're running on is perfectly flat and even. You're working muscle groups you've never worked before in anything else when you're out in the woods, when you're climbing hills, when you're dragging a deer out. You, you are using muscles and you are building all around total body fitness. Now, you may not look like a model, you know, after you've hunted a lot. 
because you're not doing the things that that build those kinds of muscle definitions. But I guarantee you take somebody who's who's been walking 10, 15 miles a day by the end of turkey season or jump hunting by the end of duck season or breaking brush at the end of pheasant season and you put them up against somebody who's in pristine physical condition and you take that person who's been at the gym two hours a day every day for a week and you put them next to the hunter and then take them out into the woods, I guarantee I've seen it. The person who's the... Who's the the gym trained one? You know, they've got explosive strength and energy. But man, they cannot go half the distance through half the terrain and do half of what the hunter can do. Because they're not using or building real world muscles and endurance. Not to just discount gym training. It's definitely valuable. It's definitely important. But it's it's not the same. And it doesn't equate, all right? If, if what you want to do is develop a certain physique and look and you do the exercises to do it and that's your goal and you've accomplished it, great. I have nothing against that. More power to you. I wish more people had the focus and the discipline to do it. But don't think that just because you've done that means you're good at things in the real world or you're physically fit and ready for many things in the real world. Because that's just not the way it is. Um, but the hunter, the person who, you know, even the hiker is, is, is getting a lot of the same exercises and a lot of the same training and things that the hunter's getting. Um, maybe they're carrying things, maybe they're not. But a very similar kind of, of deal, except that the hunter is motivated to do more. Now, a hiker might go out and do a 20-mile hike in a day. And wow, that was their big Saturday thing. The hunter might be out five days a week chasing game, getting those miles in, pushing, growing. And so they're, they're motivated to push and to continue and to wake up tomorrow still sore and do it again. Whereas the hiker, that's, that's a weekend mission. That's an excursion. Whereas the hunter is pushed and the hunter is driven and the hunter has objectives and it's not just to go out and come back and enjoy the coming and the going. And so they're, they're active more. They go deeper. They continue over and over again to do it. Whereas the hiker may do more on a Saturday, but the hunter is going to do far more over the course of a week. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so you've got this fitness training that, that comes as a result of significant investment in hunting that is 
uh, I think, drastically undervalued. But that's not the main way I wanted to go here. The main thing I wanted to talk about is what it's doing for us on the inside, in the inner man, as a person. Uh, what it's doing for us at a psychological and emotional and a spiritual level going outside. You might say, well, George, how does, you know, killing animals somehow help you more than, you know, being inside on a computer? The, the systematic slaughter of animals does nothing for you. It, it is not beneficial. That's not what we're talking about. It is the pursuit. It is the experience it is in one hand the, just the reason to be outside and to be focused on something. You know, hiking or camping could be the something, right? Hunting doesn't have to be the something. But what hunting adds to the equation, what hunting adds is this pursuit. It's not just a pursuit of the experience. It's the pursuit of the game. You are after the deer. You're after the turkey. You're after the ducks. You're after the geese. You're after the pheasants. You're after the crows. You're after the coyote. You're after whatever you're after. And that is causing you to focus and to hone. Not just physically, but also strategically. All right, You're having to learn. You're having to develop and grow and experience. You're having to focus your mind. You're having to get quieter. You're having to work on stealth. You're having to, to work more listening. You're having to work more with your senses. You're having to be more discerning of the wind. It's sharpening your mind, the pursuit. It's giving you something real to focus on. Because the reality is these animals that we're going after are largely identical to the way they were 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago. They haven't changed. Sometimes we impact habitat and habitat changes some. And you might see deer or turkeys in your backyard and, and you might say, oh, this is easy to hunt them. Yeah, well, get off just a little deeper into the woods where you can't see houses anymore and you can't hear people anymore. And you get off just a little bit out there and now these animals, it's the same wit, the same instinct as they've had for thousands of years. And you are out there matching wits, trying to learn them, trying to learn the habitat, trying to learn the way they live, their rhythms, their routines, what, what they like, what they don't like, what they're afraid of, what makes them skittish, what, make, what gives them confidence. You're trying to learn all of these things, juggling weather, juggling terrain, juggling habitat, juggling your own strength and endurance. Juggling your own limitations physically or, or technologically in terms of gear and equipment. What are you able to do? What, and, and you are trying to solve this puzzle every time you walk out into the woods in order to get that game and to bring it home. And this is a pursuit that is different than hiking or camping. Those things are great. They're very valuable, I think. Everybody should should explore those, but this is another level. Another layer is added on for the hunter that it, it focuses the mind, but at the same time, it's not in a way that we perceive as work or wearisome or burden. 
And if you don't like it and you don't enjoy the pursuit and you're not trying to do better and, and you're not super excited when you do bring home a turkey or something, well, maybe maybe this is not the right activity for you. Maybe you should look for, for something else. But for, for the hunter, for the person that, that you know, enjoys the, the activity and the pursuit and the harvest, this is, it's not, we don't view it as work. We don't view it as monotonous. We view it as exciting. We view it as energetic. We view it as valuable. We view it as something that we want to do. You don't have to make us do it. You don't have to dare us to do it. We're waking up at four in the morning to try to get out there early enough so that we can find the turkeys, so that we can build the blinds, so that we can climb into the tree stand, so we can do whatever we need to do to be there and silent at dawn. Just, just having dissolved into the forest knowing the wind, knowing the conditions, knowing what's happening, knowing why we think the game are going to be there, sharpen senses, ready to draw and shoot at a moment's notice, not jittery, but confident. Still though, with, with, with adrenaline, but focused. And, you know, this pursuit and this development does so much good for us as people but we're also, it's connecting us to the creation. It's connecting us to being outside. Part of our assignment from God is to tend and to use and to care for the creation. As well as we, we've been given the assignment and the permission to, to harvest from the creation. You know, I did an entire podcast episode of Is Hunting Biblical? And I, I just follow that line and scriptures and everything. You can go back and find that episode. You can find it on the website, newhuntersguide.com. It's up there. Um, you know, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a great, great episode. If you're more interested in that, now's a great time also for me to plug subscribe, right? Um, if, if you're liking what you're hearing on this episode, you're probably going to like other episodes. So subscribe, head to iTunes, leave a five-star review with a comment. It's the number one way to help grow the channel and reach more people. I very much appreciate it. Uh, but let's keep going here. And so when you are out there in the real world, you are out there touching real things, smelling, feeling, experiencing Everything that's out there, that in and of itself has tremendous benefit. It's like therapy. All right. It is like therapy. You know, people go to the beach. They drive maybe a thousand miles and they go to the beach. Why? Just to sit on the sand and cover their body in chemicals so the sun doesn't burn them and then sit there in the sun for hours, for days. Why? They're in nature. They're experiencing the creation. It's the same itch that we're scratching deep down on the inside is why the hunter goes into the woods. Why the duck hunter walks into the marsh or boats into the marsh. Why the turkey hunter is climbing ridges. It's in, and why we sit in a tree stand from dark to dark in the middle of the rut trying to, to fill a tag, trying to get the one. It's the exact same thing as what drives the person to the beach 
to sit on the sand, to hear the ocean, to hear the waves, to feel the breeze, to smell the, the sea breeze, to see the seagulls, to eat the overpriced food at the beach, you know, to, to wake up to the sound of the surf in the morning. You know, it's the same deep down thing. It's just a different expression of it. We are basking in the beauty of the creation, which was made for us to bask in. It was, it was made and the authority of it was given to us to bask in. And so, you know, I've got nothing against going to the beach. I'm planning to go to the beach soon uh, as of when this episode drops. Although I typically record these way in advance. So, um, but I'm a big fan of the beach too. I like it. You know, fishing is, there's a lot of similarities between hunting and fishing and going to the beach and you can fish from the beach, right? It can all come together. You can also hunt from the beach, particularly waterfowl. And so a lot of these things have overlap. They, they really do. Um, but hunting has more to it though than the beach sitter. All right. There, that there's one layer and they're very similar. But then you have that strategy layer that I just talked about that occupies your mind, that causes you to focus, that makes you listen to podcast episodes like this in the off season, trying to skill up, trying to get inspired, trying to become a better hunter, trying to bask in the joy of the pursuit, right? I watch YouTube videos and, and, and some podcasts year round outside of hunting seasons. Why? Because I enjoy everything connected to it. You know, people decorate their houses with beach themed stuff and shells and bottles of sand in it. Why? Because they enjoy everything around it, right? It's, it's, you, you, you find pleasure in the pieces that are connected to the experience. And so I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to grow. I'm always trying to skill up. I'm always fellowshipping around hunting and, and around the industry and things like that. It does me good. Right. If I can't be out there, then I'd rather be thinking about it and studying it and learning and growing and doing these episodes. That's part of the reason I'm here recording this for you guys is I just enjoy making the episodes. For me, it is it is. Well, most of the time it's fun as long as I have the time to do it and I've got the time to prep and I'm not pushed and squeezed and I'm not under pressure to get an episode out this week, which is why I record way in advance. I enjoy doing it. And if you guys enjoy listening to it, you know, I'd invite you to head over to Patreon and support the channel. You know, there's a lot of time, there's work, there's funds that go into creating this. I have to pay money every month just to host the podcast on a good platform. There are cheap platforms and there are free platforms, but I've started on those and moved over to better ones. You know, with the YouTube videos, a lot of funds go into testing and all the different things, ammo, targets, paper, gear, uh, cameras, even the recorder that I'm recording this podcast episode on. All of it has costs associated with it. And I super appreciate everybody who is supporting the show on Patreon. Um, guys, you guys are, you, it inspires me every time somebody becomes a Patreon subscriber and I get that email, I get that notification and I'm like, man, somebody else just has that kindred spirit. They just, just, it, it inspires me to keep going and to try to do even better. So, you know, I would encourage you guys, if, if you enjoy the show, if you've enjoyed other episodes, if you enjoy the YouTube channel, 
you know, consider heading over to Patreon and becoming a supporter of the channel. But when it comes to, you know, the, the, the layers of hunting, so we've got that physical layer in the creation, we've got that strategic layer, there's a spiritual layer to hunting. There really is. And I'm not going to go too deep into this because you could really go out in the left field here. But there, there's a spiritual layer. And it's not just some kind of strange new agey thing. You know, I, I mentioned before the scriptures talk about how God gave us authority to tend the nature as well as to eat from nature and to eat the animals specifically. They're given to us for food. And so when we partake of going out into the world to find, to see, you know, half the time, the joy is not even just taking the animal, it's seeing all the animals that you don't take. You know, it's seeing the 10 deer that you don't shoot, waiting for the one that you're looking for and watching them interact and watching them, you know, go about their lives and try not to be noticed by them and and to observe them in a way that in nature, in the wild, that very few people ever do. There's, there's something there. But also in harvesting the animal, there's, there is a spiritual connection there. And, you know, I can remember back to my first deer that I shot, which was the first game animal that I ever hunted. And I remember the, the, the experience of that. For There was the rush and there was the thrill and there was the adrenaline and you field dress it and you've done it and you take it home. But then for weeks, there was this, there was just more to it. There was this afterglow. There was this deeper something. And I'm, I'm not going to go much further in it than that, but I can tell you that it's real. I can tell you that it's grounded in a measure in scripture. And I can tell you that it has an effect and an impact on us. You know, people that raise livestock, people that farm, they experience similar things in different times and in different ways. They experience a connection with the food and with the food chain. And this is another point I wanted to, to mention to you guys is that so many people have completely and totally lost sight of where their food comes from. To them, it just comes from the grocery store. In fact, nowadays, it just comes from DoorDash or it comes from curbside pickup or it comes from um, you know all the different services that deliver the groceries to your house. Everything you could ever want except propane, at least in my town. And, um, you know, people just, where, where's the groceries come from? Well, the food comes from my app and I log on and I order it and then it arrives at my door. And yeah, I have to go through the effort of physically hauling it into my house from the box they left on my porch. Though there are services now where you can get them to come into your house and even put the groceries away. And of course, you've been able to pay people to cook the food for you since the dawn of time. So literally, you can just get to the point where you do nothing but stare at a screen and have someone else lift the fork to your mouth and feed it to you if you wanted to go that far into it. Most don't, but you know what? Sometimes I am surprised. And so when you see the reality of real food, when you visit even, you know, a, a ranch and you see the cattle and you walk through the process of slaughtering and butchering, you know, it's different. It It is, it creates a new level. Now, there's maybe some shock factor at first, 
But it creates a new level of appreciation and understanding. You feel more connected. You understand more. You you live and eat in a, in a, in a different capacity once you really understand all. I mean, the farmers even, people that till the ground. And now I'm thinking more along the lines of uh, more natural and... Uh, you know, what's the right word here for fun is not the right term, but more natural, um, you know, just old school type farming versus here's 10,000 acres. And, you know, here are the big vehicles that we use and we sit so 30 feet off the ground in the tractor and the combine and all that, you know, when the closer your hand is to the plow, the more you feel it. The closer your hand is to the dirt, the more connection there is for the farmer. Not to say there's no connection from the super highly industrialized farmer. Um, there is, but it's it comes in different measures and in different times and different ways. You know, there's a connection to that when you grow your own food, you feel different about it. You cook differently. A lot of people don't like to cook very much until they have a garden. And they got their own vegetables coming in. They've got their own eggs coming in. All of a sudden, they care more about cooking. And they're trying new recipes. And it inspires. It breathes life into them. It's, it's, there's a spiritual piece to it. All right? So you've got that. And that's as far as I need to go with that one. So those are three layers now that you have here. You've got just the being in the creation. You've got the strategic piece to it. You've got the spiritual piece to it. And um, you also then have the cuisine element, which I've touched on from a couple different angles. And we live today in a world, well, specifically in America, where our food supply is more industrialized, more controlled, more mass everything than at any point ever in history. And the food that we eat is so controlled, is so pro the steak that you buy at the store, perfectly wrapped, packaged, you know, everything there, you trace that back. I mean, what those cows were fed per day per calorie, everything that has gone into producing that food, the medications that were given to the cows, the antibiotics that are given to the cows, the, the, the supplements and the chemicals that are put into the feed in order to get the right digestive enzymes produced in the cows in order to digest the synthetic food that we're often feeding them. You know, we're, we're feeding cows today predominantly grains which would have been unheard of historically because one, there just wasn't the grains. But yeah, cows would maybe eat some grains here and there in the field during some seasons of the year. But we're raising animals to eat things that are unnatural for them to eat. Why? Because it produces a, quote, more desirable result, higher yield, more, quote, mainstream, appreciated flavors and so on. We've engineered the process. So yeah, the livestock that we raise, they are real animals, but we've, 
we've controlled everything about them and put them in these little pens or these cages and they can't really go anywhere. They can't do anything. All they can do is just sit and eat whatever is fed to them and be injected with whatever we put into them. And what we're getting through that food supply is, yes, very tasty food much of the time, though not always. Eggs are a prime example. You know, the mass-produced eggs that you buy at the grocery store for the bottom price usually taste like nothing. I started buying organic eggs years ago, not because I really cared that much or was into this all-organic thing, but because they actually tasted like something. They actually had real flavor. They, they actually had real color to them. They, they just, they looked like real eggs from, you know, back in the day. And washed and on the shelves, they look all pretty similar, but there's just something about when the chickens are allowed to walk on the legs that God gave them and touch the dirt and eat things other than the ground up corn that we want to feed them, that you end up with a different result and the taste is better and the quality is better and the nutritional value is better. Um, but that's a different story. I'm not trying to talk about organic food today, although there's, there's a piece of it we'll have to touch on here, and we are. Um, but the reality is our food supply is super controlled, processed, and bo it's becoming synthetic. We are now growing meat in laboratories. That is not real food. It may have protein and fat and carbohydrates and various minerals because we added them to it, but the result in our bodies is not the same. Uh, I can give you just a couple quick antidotes here. If you've traveled much, if you've been to Europe, or you've been overseas, um, you know, our bodies react to the food differently than when we're in the States. You know, when I went to Israel a few years back, um, you know, we got there and so many of the things we were eating, we've never had before and they were delicious and some things they had there that we were used to, but everything we ate, we just felt good, strangely good. I can't even explain it to you from meat to bread to dairy. We just felt strangely good all the time. And, you know, dairy didn't really have the same, uh, what's a polite way to say it, you know, didn't have the same digestive challenges, maybe, that we were used to back home. You know, the, the, the meat and things didn't cause the same sluggishness, maybe, that we're used to, didn't cause, you know, your, your digestive system to do some of the things that it, that it does that you were used to. You didn't feel so worn out. You didn't feel so, um, you know, sluggish really is, 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 is probably the right word. Bloated, other things. Um, you know, it was halfway through the trip, we became consciously aware of it. Like, wow, no matter what we eat, we just feel good. And then we came back and within hours of eating anything in America... I mean, we were just like, oh, man, I can't believe this is what we're used to feeling like. And it's because the food supply is just a, not, not even drastically different, just a little better 
overseas. Just a little better in Israel, just a little better in Europe. The dairy is just a little less processed, that your body is able to, to deal with it better. The, the butter fat is just a little higher. The cooking just comes out a little better because of it. You know, in the U.S., we've become real big on non-GMO stuff, and there's a whole movement. Well, GMOs have been banned across Europe for decades at this point. You know, there's the the food supply is just a little better, and it makes a significant difference if you eat in other countries. And uh, those of you who who live elsewhere, and then if you if you've come to visit the U.S., I'd be very curious to know. If uh, what your experiences are, you know, reach out to me through the through YouTube or through the website newhuntersguide.com or through Facebook. I'd love to hear from you and get get your perspective on this from the other side. But um, you know, when we're hunting, we are taking, I mean, as close to the most naturally raised food you can find. Now. If you are hunting deer on cornfields and wheat fields in Iowa that are just, you know, sprayed with everything that they're sprayed with, and these deer just eating grain most of the year that has been, you know, just sprayed with Roundup and every other chemical and fertilizer, well, then maybe that's not quite the case for you and where you're at. But for those that are hunting in the woods, in areas that are untouched or little touched, you know, what we're harvesting is very close to the same caliber of food that was harvested hundreds of years ago. It is, you know, you, we use this word organic. Sometimes I think it's helpful, sometimes that I don't. But we use these these words and phrases to describe and categorize things. And if you want to do if you want to do that, you know, the meat that we're harvesting as hunters is as close to organic as pretty much anything can be. And so, you know, the, the, there is a nutritional benefit. And there are some, like I began the episode with, they, they harvest deer or elk or moose or whatever to live. It's their main food source. Some of those people, um, you know, that's a choice. They could buy other food to eat, probably lesser food, but they could get other food. Some of them, you know, that's, that's an economic need. That's a very small number of people, though. Very small number of people. For the, for the, the broadest portion of society, the, the quality of the food that we're harvesting in the wild is head and shoulders above what we're eating on a regular basis in terms of quality, in terms of leanness, in terms of nutrient composition, in terms of lack of other factors, chemicals, enzymes, antibiotics, um, fertilizers, um, pesticides that we are getting through our main food supply and food channels, even when we try to be careful. Of course, you know, what, what animals are eating in the wild is, is, is certainly not going to be 100%, we'll say, untouched by humanity most of the time. But... I think the vast majority of in the woods and when you get, you know, just a, just a little bit away from civilization, you're going to be about as good as it gets. And so there is this other benefit that happens. And I could talk about nutrition and how that impacts physical health, mental health, emotional health. I could talk about that for an hour. That's not the purpose of this episode. 
But that is a piece. And it's a noteworthy piece. Hence why we've noted it. But, you know, I think today in our nation, in America, and I'm sure other places, to get people, specifically young people, but all people, into the woods to go hunting. And then there's another, one more dynamic I need to just quickly touch on. There's a social dynamic. You know, whether you hunt alone or with people, there's a social dynamic because you are now able to connect with and relate to people around hunting, around this passion and pursuit that you would not have been able to before. And if you're hunting something like waterfowl, which I recommend everybody do because it's a team sport, you know, you go out two, three, four, five people, whatever it is, you can hunt as a group, sometimes even better than you can individually. And you can talk and you can even sometimes cook in the field. You, you, you're able to fellowship and build relationships and do things. And even if you deer hunt or turkey hunt solo, you can still use it as a point of fellowship. Sometimes people drive out to the woods together. Then they split and go to their respective stands. They come back together when they're done. They talk about it. They build relationship around it. You know, pheasant hunting is is easy to do with a few people. And various other kinds of hunting can be done as a group. Predator hunting and, and several others. And so it's something that enables us to build community in the real, tangible world. All right? And, and that has significant advantage over the synthetic reality. And I believe today very strongly that all of... Our nation, everyone needs to have a stronger connection to reality, to the tangible world. And I think not for everybody, certainly, but for a lot of people, hunting would be one of the best things that they could do. It would be very valuable to them. It would be, it, it would not just become a hobby of something else, but it helps ground you in the real world in reality for all the different things and all the different reasons and layers and dimensions and things that I've covered here. I believe this could be something that goes a long way to healing just this dependency and all of the, the, the negatives that have been caused by this fixation on synthetic reality. It is something that I believe we should work towards and strive for to get new people engaged, to get young people engaged, to, to get them, you know, even if they don't become a lifelong hunter, that's okay. Sometimes perspective has a lifelong impact. It's not just about trying to get somebody to become a lifelong, self-sufficient, passionate hunter. Sometimes just perspective can have a lifelong impact and it can draw them towards other outdoor activities that maybe they do take up and become passionate about. Getting people outside into the real world ought to be our number one goal. Getting them to hunt what we hunt or to follow exactly what we do, you know, I don't think that's the most important thing. And of course, right, this is the new hunter's guide and part of what I do and have been doing for four or five years at this point is trying to help equip people to get outside, to get into the woods, to start hunting or to start hunting new things so you can hunt more, so you can be out there more. And it's not about just bringing home game. It's about all these different layers and benefits and things that I've outlined today. 
And so guys, I hope this has been helpful to you. I would love to hear your feedback from this episode. You know, hit me up on Facebook, through email, from the website, on YouTube, or however you can. Would love to hear what you think and what you feel about this. Um, You know, send me your feedback. I really appreciate you guys for listening. Um, You know, of course, leave a review, subscribe, head on over to Patreon and consider that. Um, you know, this really is a passion of mine to do things. I've been looking forward to this episode for a little while, actually, just, just being able to speak into this conversation, which is something I try to do in between, you know, at the turning point of different seasons and and from one season to the next or milestone episodes. And so I love doing things like these, uh, but guys, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you till next time. God bless you and go get them in the woods.